Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Fun Belt Podcast. My name is Jeremy Harper from Hellraiser. With me is Dusty Thibodeau from Warhawk Report and Ben Moore from Panther. Oh, Ben's Ben's on a bye this week. Uh, Oh, Ben's on a bye. How are we going to do this show without Ben Moore? Uh, Just like this. (laughs) Yeah. Streamlined. With with skill. Yeah, we won't have his deep penetrating insight into uh sunbelt finances so uh that that this show will be a little bit less technical without ben moore i guess but we can go ahead without ben moore and discuss a fascinating week seven of sunbelt football i think i want to want to talk i think i'm just going to put dusty right on the on the on on the board here and ask him how in the hell did ulm beat liberty on Saturday night. Did that really happen? Because, I mean, I had a dream about yes, it. it happened. And it was I the craziest thing ever. It was so realistic. It was like, like, like watching a really good magic trick. It's like I saw uh, David Copperfield when I was a kid make the Statue of Liberty disappear on national TV. That's what it was like. So, Liberty is up 14-0 at the break, and I was happy. I was like, okay, they're... There's a good chance that ULM can beat the spread. That's all I wanted. And then ULM just came back, had the halftime adjustment, and it looked like Liberty just had no chance. 28 third-quarter points from ULM. Where did that come from, Dusty Thibodeau? I want answers, and you better tell the truth. So I I think that it was kind of a perfect storm there that Chandler Rogers came out that second half, perfect nine for nine for those four touchdowns uh, accounted for that wasn't necessarily uh, that he had them all or anything like that, but he had a hand in it. In addition to that, you know, we talked a couple of weeks back where Levi Lewis of Louisiana Lafayette, just, you know, we kind of wrote it off. I think it was against the South Alabama game. He just had a bad day at the office. I think Malik Willis is still <laughs> one of the front runners for the Heisman trophy definitely amongst the G5. I think he had a bad day at the office. He had, what, three interceptions, including the last one to kind of seal the win there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it was just kind of a, a bad day for Liberty, and ULM played a hell of a game, especially defensively, where not once but twice the Flames were knocking on the goal line from within the two-yard line and got nothing, nothing to show for it. See now, Dusty. I think you're being a little polite. I think what you're what you're doing is trying to curry favor with the college football gods by being modest about this. But let me tell you something that you may not know. Oh, you you know maybe, but you're too modest to point out. Did you know that ULM is one of the least penalized teams in all of college football? I do know that, and that's why last week I always go back and listen to our shows. Maybe I'm vain. Maybe I just like catching our mistakes. Maybe I like hearing your voice, Jeremy. Who knows? That's probably it. But 
last week we talked about ULM having nine penalties against Georgia State. And I, I even pointed out then that it was so uncharacteristic of ULM. And then this week, they were great. Yeah. And here's I, here's why I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's not a coincidence. I'm thinking Terry Bowden, for, for, for all his experience, for all his worldliness, has come down to Monroe and taken this ragtag bunch of players, a bunch of kind of transfer guys, guys that we don't know much about, one guy's named Boogie Knights, brought them together, and has somehow brought in with him a level of discipline, especially on defense, that has made the ULM Warhawks the scariest team right now in the Sun Belt. Is there anybody who has now looked at that game with the, with the Warhawks and looking at that and say, that's a win? I don't think you can do that anymore. At the beginning of the season, everybody circled it. Okay, that's a W right there. We can move on to the next week. You can no longer say that about the Warhawks. Not after they beat Troy, not after they've beaten Liberty. It's impossible. The Warhawks may not be winning any Sunbelt titles this year, but they're causing a lot of trouble. You know, you, you look at it several different ways. First of all, it's three wins. That means you're halfway to bowl eligibility. <laughs> yeah. Coming into the season, if you would have told me that we were even going to be this close, I would have been like, hmm. Maybe, but no, probably a two-win season. But if you remember, even way back when, when we first started talking and, and kind of doing all this, I said, ULM is going to lose some games that they shouldn't. And most notably, I thought that was honestly going to be the Jackson State game. And they're going to go out and beat somebody or somebodies that they have no business being on the field with. I think that's what that first Liberty game was. I still think there's one game left on the table that they can wind up winning that is going to be a true head scratcher. But I couldn't tell you what game that is because I don't think they know what game that is. I think it's, it's still a work in progress and almost a week by week uh, adventure with the Warhawks. And also to a degree, knowing how much they kind of buy into the hype. I think after that Jackson state and the Troy win, where you kind of rattled off that, that, that thing, you know, where you have multiple wins. What do you call those, Jeremy? It's called a win streak. I haven't seen that in a while, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think they kind of bought into the hype when they were on that streak. Yeah, all right. And, and <laughs> forgot that they were supposed to be bad. But then when you get blown out back-to-back -back weeks of 50-point games, they remembered, oh, shit, we're supposed to be bad and, and, and not very good. I don't know. Here's I think it just might be – a matter of Terry Bowden being a Sunbelt agent of entropy. He just wants to see chaos. He wants to see this nice, pleasant, quiet college football community just go ape, just riots in the street. I think he's wearing his suit and tie and bringing it on the sidelines and pretending he's a nice little old man with a little bit of, with a little bit of football acumen. I really think he just wants us all dead and destroyed because there's no way that the Warhawks should be this good at this time in the season. But I will say congratulations for such a uh, marvelous win, not just for, for, for ULM, not just for the city of Monroe, but for the Sun Belt in general, because that does, that is a nice feather in our cap. So that was really nice, but yeah, moving on. It definitely was. It, it was a great game. I mean, it was the perfect end to the weekend. Very entertaining, fun to watch. But you know what? 
that wasn't the only game in week seven. Week seven also featured, <laughs> well, this should have been a boring game, and in a lot of ways it kind of was, but it was also kind of a revealing game. Texas State Troy. Troy comes back at the very end and manages to come up with a 31-28 victory over Texas State. I didn't see much of the game. I was kind of following it. It just seemed like a, a slog uh, for the most part. A lot of little bit of defense, a little bit of offense. But I think the big surprise, well, one of the things that was uncharacteristic is Troy has now scored uh, more than 18 points in two consecutive co contests. So they should be happy about that. And Texas State, for what it's worth, has put in another fairly good game, especially after starting the season so lousy. Uh, Dusty, do you see anything inside this game that would make you look at this and go, oh, we're seeing something uh, out of the ordinary? In the words of, of Lee Corso, not so fast. <laughs> as okay. much as I have been a fan of Brady McBride this entire season. You love Brady McBride. You that, really do. That L by the boob cats, as you uh, coined them, yeah. is straight on McBride. Poor turnovers, poor reads, forcing the ball into double, sometimes even triple coverage. You're not going to win when you have that, including a, a late 33-yard pick six where you just force the ball in instead of giving the fan a souvenir, chunking it into the stands, spiking it off your foot, whatever, to <laughs> keep the Trojans from getting their hands on the ball. I was highly disappointed with that play, with, with his play, especially in that fourth quarter, knowing that they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Well, yeah, but can we really expect that much from the Bobcats other than, than that they will routinely snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? Don't I, downplay your rival. <laughs> I want to pump them up because they're the last game that Rent was play this year, and I want them to be a quality win and or, or, or at least a quality loss is, is the way the Red Wolves are playing. But, yeah, I think it does speak to Troy's defense. Troy's defense is legit on, on every metric on defense. Uh, they rank very high. They, they just have a good defense. Why they don't have a good offense, we may never know. There, there's something going on. And from what I understand, they just had one of their wide receivers booted off the team uh, or at least suspended uh, for some sort of legal infraction uh, uh, Dusty did you see that at all I, I don't have that in front of me but, but I it saw it I thought it was the infamous uh, violation of team rules or whatever uh, mm -hmm. kind of a vague thing from what I saw yeah but this, that's something that this Troy offense needs I don't, I don't really think so I don't think they need a weapon taken away from them so I, I, I once again Troy just sort, sort of stumbles in the dark and, and gets a win. But I don't think anybody's very confident about that. If anything, I but probably, despite Texas State having the four turnovers, Brady McBride did have three touchdowns. So he does have a little bit of fire with that, with that, with that ice. But there's really not so much you can say about that except for choice defense. Once again, very good. Texas Bobcats, once again, very booby. Uh, moving on. I'm going to save Appalachian State and Louisiana to the end because I think we can talk a little bit more about that. But I will say that South Alabama had did a good job of getting back off the, or getting off the schneid a little bit. You know, they lost two straight 
They weren't looking good in the Sun Belt. So suddenly, a, a team that started three and zero was 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 four and zero. Were they four and zero? Okay. Four and zero. Anyway, let let's just say they were they they started off very hot, whatever it was, and then they started cooling down. And I said that this was a must-win game for South Alabama, or the season's over. Now, so, so, uh, like Ben, for instance, was like, "Oh, uh, you know, cool your jets on that. They're still close to bowl eligibility. Uh, you know, bowl eligibility shouldn't be the number one goal for this team. This team needs to be a team that really starts looking like a team that can challenge the Sun Belt elite, and they just haven't been doing that. A forty-one to fourteen win over Georgia Southern, who yes is struggling, but can put up points when they want to." But that's still a pretty good win. Yeah, and and I think the biggest takeaway that I had out of that game, South Alabama for the first time this season scored on their opening drive. All of their (laughs) other opening drives had been three and outs. Wow. That's that's pretty incredible. It's it's the crazy stats like that that just – they're almost not believable, but then you kind of think back and you just – scratch your head and, and you just had a complete loss why is that i mean the jags this week against georgia southern rolled 545 yards off i mean they're moving the ball what is so magical or lack thereof of that opening drive i uh, you know what i, I think i think they, maybe. they were at home i mean <laughs> what more do you want i think maybe the magic for the uh, for the Jaguars for this game to, to be able to to crush that curse is the Georgia Southern pass defense, <laughs> which is pretty bad. Uh, and I say that as as a a fan of a team who's who Georgia Southern crushed. Georgia Southern uh, pass defense is non-existent. Jake Bentley comes away as the Sun Belt. Uh, player of the week this week with 389 yards and three touchdowns so he deserves all those accolades but he did do it against a georgia southern backfield that has had a whole lot of difficulty defending the pass and as far as i know has only had any type of success at home against arkansas state a win's a win win is a win and speaking of wins everybody was looking forward to this game appalachian state versus louisiana the game that was maybe not going to decide who is going to win the Sun Belt, but maybe was going to determine who was legit and who wasn't. And coming into this game, I sat down, I had my popcorn, I had my soft drinks, I had my ice cold O'Doul's. I was ready for a, a slugfest. I was really w- w- waiting for Appalachian State's run game to collide with Louisiana's run game. I was hoping to see Chase Bryce versus Levi Lewis. I just wanted to see, you know, power against power in this game. And what I saw was a Cajuns team just completely bully Appalachian State in Lafayette. What did you see? Uh, what did you see, Dusty, that I likely saw too? <laughs> oh, just, just tell me what you saw. Uh, the Cajuns never trailed. Yeah. Uh, App State 0 and 11 on third down conversions. That is, I think, a big testament to how good the Cajuns defense can be. But I also kind of question how consistently can they keep doing that because we haven't seen that from them in the past where they've just really had a strong, strong showing this year. 
No, they haven't blown out anybody. They do just enough defense to win games. They do just enough offense to win games. This game was a complete anomaly over one of the toughest teams in the Sun Belt. And that's what really confounds me, is where did they suddenly get this, this sort of burst of energy? Uh, you know, Levi Lewis, he wasn't uh, especially interesting, 200 yards and a touchdown, but he's kind of like that all the time. He manages the game. Uh, he'll, he'll get you some yards on the ground if he has to. You know, they got that three-headed run, run, running back uh, situation with Montrell Johnson, Chris Smith, and the rook and the freshman whose name escapes me. But either one of them can put up 100 yards. But none of them, if you look at the stats, they come in, I think, 10th, 11th, and 12th in the Sun Belt for running. So it, 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 there's not like a real bell ringer on this Cajuns team. And you said it in a, in a podcast Several weeks ago, Dusty, you said, hey, did you know that the Cajuns won the uh, Sun Belt West without leading in any statistic, any meaningful statistic in the Sun Belt? And I kind of just went, okay, whatever. It was a dumb COVID year. That's probably going to happen. But they're doing it again, Dusty. And the only thing that I can think of that separates this team uh, from anything else must be the the future head coach of LSU, Billy Napier. And I give it more credit also to Georgia Southern has the magical, mystical stream yeah. on campus. Louisiana Lafayette has a true swamp on campus that I had forgotten about that they had. I think that in, in Louisiana culture, you have the old uh, ghost story, so to say, of, of oh, like no. the abominable snowman or Yeti type called the Rougarou. I think the Rougarou is the difference of... Louisiana Lafayette. So you thinking they're drawing mystical energy from the Rougarou? Without a doubt. You know what? I, I would say let's launch an investigation, but I don't know if I want an answer to that. I kind of like this super mystery surrounding the Cajuns. I like that they don't have like a all-star quarterback or a superstar wide receiver or one running back that just does all the work. They're just this team out there that just does everything pretty good. And as a result, are are just handing Appalachian State their butts. And Appalachian State, let's admit it, they look terrible. They did not look good that game. Bryce, who on this podcast I had claimed was the midseason MVP, looked awful, threw some picks, threw for about 100 yards, didn't seem to get anything going. What is going on, Dusty? With Appalachian State, is there something going on? Or was this just, as you had mentioned earlier, the proverbial bad day? I think it was just the bad day. Um, I don't remember who they had two weeks ago leading into it to know if it was a little bit of a hangover effect. But, you know, Lafayette's a tough place to play, especially when you're playing on that weird Tuesday night because chances are you were playing the Thursday the week before or even that week after, so you have that extended time off. It's a, it's a weird thing when you play those mid-week, mid, mid-week games. And so I don't read too, too much into it. But I, I, like I said, I was definitely disappointed that it was as wide a margin as it was for the Cajuns. I really thought that was a, a preview of a possible Sunbelt Conference championship game if App State can pull off that upset of Coastal Carolina. So do you think, Dusty, that in this age of of realignment and TV ratings and, and, and eyeballs on screens that 
having a game like that where you have the conferences two heavyweights go toe to toe turn in what became a fairly mundane affair of one team just crushing the other is that bad for the Sun Belt? No, not really. Because I think coming into the the season, you had Louisiana Lafayette with the hype of being ranked, uh-huh, yeah. Texas not having a too too bad of a showing. No matter what, you're always going to have App State being associated with the Michigan upset from you know 2007. God, so you're you're still going to have people that recognize the names of the school. They're going to recognize maybe some of the names. Um, the hype of Billy Napier. So I don't think that that necessarily was a negative that it was a snooze fest, so to say, because I mean, Lafayette just dominated top to bottom. Dusty, I think you're right. And I, I, I think you've hit on it as to why it's not a bad thing for the Sun Belt. And that's because a lot of people outside the Sun Belt, when they think of Sun Belt football, what surfaces to mind a lot of times it's the Mountaineers. Oh, the Mountaineers, they're very good. They're solid. They're the cream of the crop of the Sun Belt. And a lot of the other teams sort of get pushed to the wayside. So maybe it was a good lesson for the nation to see Appalachian State, mighty Appalachian State, go up against another team in the Sun Belt and receive what normally Appalachian State does to another team, and that's just completely dominate them. And it shows that there's a lot of great talent in the Sun Belt. It's just not Appalachian State. It's just not at Coastal. Not at Coastal. It's all over the place. And let's admit, that was a great win for the Sun Belt West, which is, and ULM, by the way, having that win against Liberty. That's great wins for the Sun Belt West, a, a, a division of the Sun Belt that has been much maligned over the uh, last few years but you know what speaking of divisions and making a good name for itself and and jockeying for positions and also a bunch of things i haven't mentioned at all we should talk a little bit about the sort of brouhaha that's circulating around conference realignment and what the american is doing and how that's going to affect the sun belt Dusty, I'm going to ask you to sort of give us a sort of 50,000-foot overview of what's going on with the American and then how it's going to impact the Sun Belt. The best analogy I can come up with right now with how this realignment is going, the hot movie right now or hot TV series is Squid Game. Yeah. The American is, is the front man, if you've, if you've seen it. Uh-huh. And we're all just players of the game trying to make sure we're staying as still as possible on red light. Ah, very good. Okay. Very, very irrelevant. Dusty, I'm, pr- I'm pretty impressed. M- go on. Push forward. You've got the momentum here. Uh, is it green light yet? Um, green light. Green light. Yeah, I, I think the American is desperate. They're throwing the Hail Mary knowing that they lost the big teams that they had in their league. Cincinnati is definitely looking like they're going to be in a New Year's uh, six bowl, maybe even in the playoffs as they sit number two overall in the rankings. They're trying to maintain that momentum instead of seeing this as kind of their crowning achievement. And then they're going to have to take the step back, rebuild and get back up there. So they're doing everything they can to keep that conference together with 
whoever is willing to sign off and go. But I think a lot of people see it as kind of a desperation move and they don't want to be a part of it. It's much like the Conference USA. Everyone is jumping ship from Conference USA because it has a bad TV deal. It's almost a coast-to-coast conference where you got to travel all the way from El Paso all the way through Virginia. It's, it's not economically feasible. It doesn't allow for a rival. Because if you look right now in the Conference USA, who is Louisiana Tech's rival? North Texas, maybe? Rice? Utah? Yeah. Hmm. Hard to say. Yeah, th- there's they no one. by themselves, yeah. FIU, maybe? Uh, it reminds me of the early days of the Sun Belt, where the Sun Belt was kind of in that position to get whoever's willing to go, and then we'll figure out how it all fits together. Well, you talked about you talked about panicking. So, you know, let's take let's back up a couple steps here because it's been a while since we just really reviewed what has happened. So the American, they get, a, you know, they get some more key names poached from them. Okay, it happens to us all, right? So the American is like, all right, we're still the American, right? We can take anybody we want if we have to. We can take anybody we want. So the first thing they did was they start snooping around the Mountain West. And they kind of, I don't know where it leaked or how, how it happened, but it was like Air Force and San Diego State and Boise State and Colorado State were all supposed to dump the Mountain West and join the American. Because everybody wants to join the American, right, Dusty? We all want to be Americans. Oh, we all want to be Americans. And what did those programs say to the American? We can't repeat those words on air. They said, go eat a bag of... (laughs) Go eat that bag, man. We don't want to join the American. Now, part of me is like, ah, some of these guys think that maybe the Pac-12 is going to come knocking. I don't know. But they're not joining the Americans. So the Americans like, <gasps> what do we do now? How, how, who are we going to get? <laughs> so they end up like about a week ago, I, I hear this, this, this story about how the America is now going to take, look at some lesser programs. And I start ch- kind of chuckling. I was like, oh, well, I wonder who these lesser programs the, the Americans going to get to sort of, and the Americans going to build these guys up is how it was put up. You know, we're going to take these guys in and we're going to help them become bigger and better programs because we're the American. And so who do they come up with? Who were the six schools? Idaho. Planning the poach? <laughs> no, Idaho is not one of them. But what is it? It's, is it UTSA? UTSA, Rice, uh-huh. Charlotte. Uh-huh. Uh, who else were they? <laughs> we can't figure it out. Who All right. It, all right, right. All right, here it is. Is it Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA? All right, so UTSA having a good season this year, right? They are. Hadn't had good season in a long time, though, right? Don't really bring anything to the table for basketball, baseball. No. Rice, smart school. You know what? Sunbelt, I would love to have a Rice in there at DR Vanderbilt, right? North Texas? Mm, I, I, I like North Texas. I will say that. 
great. Everybody campus. likes North Texas. Yeah. Great campus. Uh-huh. Good basketball. Uh-huh. Football. Yeah, they have a team. Baseball. Yeah, you know, sometimes they have a good team. I don't know. Yeah. Charlotte just recently a member of the FBS. I don't know. I guess they're a good market. I don't know anything else about them. They're a good market. And after last week when we had the group of five guys on, they had the head coach of Charlotte uh, Healy's his last name, Will Healy. Yeah. Love the guy. Heard him talking with the guy with the group of five guys. Uh-huh. The guy gets it. He understands how to build a program because this is his baby. This is what he is really trying to build up so that it can be, you know, the old, the old cliche was always, we want to be the next Boise state. Yeah. He's trying to build the Charlotte to be the next Boise state. Hmm. And by that, everyone's going to focus on Boise state. Oh, they're not that. I get it. It's the idea, not the specifics. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, so I like Healy. So uh-huh. because of that, I like Charlotte a little bit more now. Um, uh-huh. Football, I think they're very unproven. Yeah. Basketball, they're good. Baseball, they're good. Well, okay. Right. Here's the one program that I I don't get. I, I mean, I get that they have they have some money. It's UAB. I know that they, they're in a pretty good market in Alabama. Uh, Alabama's actually crowded to me with a lot of teams. Uh, with Troy and South Alabama, you got UAB. And then, of course, you've got you know, Alabama and you've got uh, Auburn in there. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of competition in there. But <laughs> what always cracks me up is this, uh, this specter that UAB was dead. What was it, four or five years ago? Alabama just said, you're dead at UAB. Pack it all up. You're a medical school now, and that's it. We're, we're, take, we're taking all of your sports equipment, and they're now the property of Alabama. And UAB, the, the community, stood up and said, you're not taking this from us. This belongs to us, and we're, gonna, we're going to invest time and money into it. I think it's great. What a great story. So I, I remember talking with a former Sunbelt administrator yeah. who was at UAB when football was kind of bounced around and they were going to get it. It was sold to the Alabama system that this is never going to be more than a mid-major FCS type of program. Don't worry, it's not a threat to, to Alabama and the establishment. And then they couldn't really find a home in the FCS. So they had to be D one. And that's when it kind of started like, Hey, y'all, y'all aren't supposed to be here. And let's be honest. When UAB started football, they sucked. They were horrible. Right. I mean, they, they were ULM's homecoming back when I was a student. They were an amusing basketball program at best. Yes. And most of that was just seeing the old Gene Bartow coach. The, the living legend that had been there, you know, a hundred years or however long he was great basketball coach. But then when they started getting good and threatened is when they really started seeing their funding get cut and things like that, where eventually they did get their football program cut. The fact though, that they are essentially a, what, four year old program. They have a brand new stadium, awesome facilities. They're in the heart of downtown Birmingham. 
they've actually carved out a little bit of a fan base for themselves away from the Auburns and the Alabamas. I'm okay with a UAB. And then especially knowing that they're good in basketball, they're pretty competitive in baseball, they would bring some stuff to the table. See, Dusty, I get what you're saying. In fact, you make really good points on all that. But what I see here is a list of teams that have not established brands. I see Charlotte that's just gotten into playing football. I see UAB, which had almost been kicked out of existence. I see UTSA, which is a feel-good story this year. What are they going to be next year? And still pretty new as well. Yeah. I see Rice, great research school. I don't know if they're a good sports school. But, hey, if you need a Vanderbilt, then by all means, take it. FAU, I get them confused with FIU. Which one are they getting? I don't even know. Why didn't they get FIU too? And then North Texas, okay. That's, but North Texas, is, it's still another group of five Texas school. There's a thousand group of five <laughs> Texas schools. So are you really getting much value from North Texas? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying they went from going, oh, we're going to get Boise State and Colorado State and maybe San Diego State. And just for chuckles and giggles, we're going to get Air Force too and have an Air Force Navy type thing. Now they're like desperate saying, we're going to scoop up these guys. And this is on the heels of the Conference USA president or whoever it was sending out a letter to the Americans saying, hey, we should join forces. We should, we should have this group, which to me is hilarious too, because it was CUSA at the very beginning in 2013, 2012, that was poaching everybody and not giving a damn about what, was, what the effects were going to be. And, and, and right after that, that last round of poaching, is when the Sun Belt, Carl Benson, approached Conference USA about going with the whole regionalized model yeah. that, uh, you know, you, you didn't really have a traditional conference. It was kind of a flex based on what sport and, you know, good high-level stuff. And Conference USA said, no, y'all are the Sun Belt. You know, y'all, y'all are the bottom of the barrel and, uh-huh. and we're Conference USA. Yeah, and we were. We were bottom of the barrel. But you know what we did? We stuck to our guns. Just we like Carl on. Benson said, the Sun Belt is rising. We, wait, he said that? <laughs> I, I think, I'm sure it was a voiceover guy, but yeah, it was in the marketing. Because <laughs> that is that is some damn poetry right there. So, all right. So, uh, now that the American has shown their hand, the Sun Belt has been very coy these last couple of days, these last couple of weeks, right? They're, they're not really saying anything. Sometimes somebody comes out and says, yeah, the Sun Belt's going to expand. They're going to grab some teams. And then some people say, ah, oh, no, the Sun Belt's standing pat. They kind of like where they are. But the rumor is floating around, Dusty, that the deal has already been made, that there are, that still some pieces have to come together, some letters have to be signed. But there is a rumor floating around that Marshall, and Southern Miss are coming to the Sun Belt. And I want to ask you two things about that. One, what does that do for the Sun Belt? And two, is that the death knell for Conference USA? Addressing the latter first? (laughs) Not necessarily. I, I think that the Conference USA 
could still survive if <gasps> they approach it like the American yeah. and scoop up the air quotes lesser teams in uh-huh. order to rebuild and regroup. Okay. And by that, that would basically be assuming the new whack with the likes of Stephen F. Austin, Tarleton uh-huh. State, uh-huh. Sam Houston, uh-huh. Dixie State. Yeah. Are you getting excited? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's the only way that Conference USA can survive. Maybe. And I don't know the financial situation, if they have a big enough carrot to dangle in front of somebody and, and rope them in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't see where Conference USA survives unless there is a merger of some sort with the WAC, the Ohio Valley, any of those. Does the MAC do anything? Does the MAC come in and go, let's just combine, even though the footprint's a little strange, let's just go ahead and have this really sort of big conference. And so then you'll have Louisiana Tech versus Eastern Michigan, that kind of thing. I think that's an interesting concept. <laughs> but when's the last time you heard anything about realignment and the MAC in the same sentence? Not at all. It is the strangest thing. Even the last round. No, nobody wants anything from the MAC. And quite frankly, if you look at the budgets for some of these MAC schools, they're pretty good. Uh, they, they put money into these programs. So it must be a mixture of markets and brand awareness and something that I can't see that's preventing the Mac from doing anything. I mean, would you want to every two years go play on that concrete jungle of Eastern Michigan? No, no. Yeah. It doesn't help that the Mac plays in, 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 in the tundra, that it's just a cold, unforgiving landscape of, of have you ever watched a Maction on a midweek? And it, it, it's in November or the end of October, and there's a piles of snow, and everybody's dressed like they're like, like they're about they rode their tauntaun in. There, there's sort of a misery of Mac schools, and maybe not in basketball, but definitely in football. When you see them on TV, it just looks cold and miserable in Mac schools. And I don't know if if it's if that's if that kind of eyeball imagery actually has an effect on this. I can't think of anything else because Mac has been crazy quiet these last two rounds of expansion. And I don't know if they're even in the room when people are talking. Maybe maybe they've got their own designs. I don't know. I I wish I could tell you something more exciting than that, but you know, I like the Mac the way it is. I don't <laughs> see anybody FCS or otherwise in their footprint that would really add value to the Mac. Mm-hmm. So good for them for being able to just kind of sit tight and, and, and still kind of keep the same quality of product. Northern but, Illinois, you're just going to have to continue being in the Mac. That's what I have to say. Yeah. What did you Your other question about <laughs> Southern Miss and Marshall. Yes. I think Southern Miss, even in a bad, bad time in their program, like they are right now in football, everyone wants Southern Miss, no matter what, because it gives you the Mississippi market because there's only three schools in Mississippi that you can really have that would be competitive. Yeah. And Ole Miss and Miss State are not leaving the SEC for the Sun Belt. 
Are you sure about that, Dustin? We could start the rumor, all right, but it'd get shot down. And besides, I don't think that there's enough mustard bottles in the world to throw at Lane Kiffin if they came to the Sun Belt. You know, I don't mind besmirching our own reputation to 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 bring that rumor out into the open that Ole Miss is coming to the Sun Belt. I think that would be a lot of fun. You know, I, I think I think Ole Miss could compete pretty well in the Sun Belt after some time. If once they get their program developed, I think that could work out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, <laughs> in in baseball, they've kind of developed a good rivalry there with Louisiana Lafayette. So you know, yeah. it would definitely just kind of carry over into the other sports as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Old Miss, you're welcome to join us. Just this holler, you know, we'll hook you up with with uh, Keith Gill. We know Keith. We know Keith. Yeah, but all right, but Marshall and Southern Miss, pretty good brands, right? Yeah, they're good brands. Uh, Southern Miss definitely brings something to the table traditionally in football as well as baseball. Basketball's kind of a hit or miss. Truthfully, kind of like most of the Sunbelt basketball teams anyway. They'll fit right in. Yeah. Marshall, <laughs> obviously, good football tradition. I don't think that they've been the Marshall of old here lately, but they still would be in the mid to upper part of the Sunbelt Conference. Basketball's good. Baseball's pretty good. So again, they they kind of check all the boxes, and would be a good fit. So you, you know, I would be ecstatic to have these two schools in here because I think that it makes the league even better. Gets us a little bit bigger. Gets us into the new markets. Gets us more regional rivalries. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you have Coastal and App that are old SoCon opponents. Yeah. But they don't really have that close rival to them. Whereas when you lump in Marshall in the West Virginia area, it really kind of adds even a little bit more to it. I still think that there needs to be one more team added on each side so that maybe you could get someone like an old Dominion that is uh-huh. currently by all the projections left out in the cold of Conference USA or even a James Madison. Yeah. Yeah, but let me let me throw something else out, Dusty, which is sure to to get you talking, because every time we mention this, it it, it, it sort of ruffles a feather, and I, I'm I'm a little worried about bringing it up live on recording, because uh, I don't want you to blow up. But why stop at Marshall and Southern Miss? And that's just what you've implied. Why stop? Why not get FIU and Louisiana Tech? FIU, I still have PTSD of going to old Lockhart Stadium, which uh-huh. was shared with FAU. Wow. Where it was almost like FEMA trailers on stilts at the stadium. <laughs> their press box and coaches box. Uh-huh. And I thought that the coaches above us in the trailers were going to fall through on us at any moment. Yes, they have a new stadium and it's nice. These are just my old time. Your prejudices, I get that. Of, of yeah. Sunbelt years of old. Uh-huh. In addition to that, if if, if we're going to add FIU, let's add Idaho. And 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 I say that because Damn it, Dusty, not, no, we're not not just because of that, but it's like they're in the middle of freaking nowhere. Why not? Oh, well, okay. So you're saying they're kind of far away. And, and and while we're at it, we'll get Hawaii in as well. All right, okay. Maybe we can find somebody in Canada, University of Alaska. Uh huh. You got to keep that mold of your regionalized footprint. 
in right, part of it right now. Forget I said that. Forget I forget. Let's just say Old Dominion because you mentioned Old Dominion, and Old Dominion seems like a you know I I don't know much about Old Dominion. I know that they're uh, amusing basketball school. I don't know anything about their football. I hope that one day it becomes a football school. But let's say we get Old Dominion, but also we get Louisiana Tech. Dusty, what do you think of that? It'll never happen because of their ego will not allow them to actually uh-huh. stoop in air quotes to a ULM and Louisiana Lafayette level. I mean, you have to remember this is a team that in 2012 with nine, 10 wins opted to sit at home, then go down the road to Shreveport and play a bowl game against ULM. And, and this is the same one that, you know, has the infamous Tommy McClellan talking about Louisiana Lafayette trying to strive and grow and be prosperous to join the Conference USA. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a good fit. Don't for- you think, though, that money trumps ego? It trumps all that. Don't you think that somehow they would get together and figure it out and for the good of college football and perhaps even for the good of the state of Louisiana that they would join forces and put aside those old hurts and grudges and, and, and become a Sunbelt family member. This is the same state that's firing a head coach two years removed from a national title and looking at going with Jimbo Fisher, who they would have to pay the state of Texas $95 million to get him to then pay him probably another $95 million for him to coach LSU. So they might just sell Louisiana Tech just to afford Jimbo Fisher to come to LSU. There, there's going to be a second Louisiana purchase where the state is just sold. <laughs> if all that happens. All I, right. I got one more discussion point for but, real. But I will say this. Okay, taking, okay. taking the biasness out. Okay. I think that they would definitely fit for baseball and would finally give Louisiana Lafayette a good rival in baseball and somebody honestly that could compete year in year out with them and coach conkle in basketball would probably win the sun belt at least every other year okay mm-hmm. and you know, don't you think they'd make a good football kind of addition to some years yes yeah. but i mean that's that truthfully that's kind of every team i mean yeah. Would, would, would Southern Miss really compete this year? Probably not. But next year, maybe they run the tables and, and you know, they're hosting the conference championship game. No, that's how, so, the, Sun Belt, that's how the Sun Belt is anyway. One year you're Troy, next year you're, you're North Texas. You know, it's just like there's always something different. But here is my last point. I put out a poll um, today on Twitter. And the poll was this. If you were King Sun Belt, would you be willing to allow Sunbelt defectors back into the Sunbelt? Guys like Middle Tennessee, for instance, and Western Kentucky. Would you put all those hurt feelings aside? Like I had mentioned to you earlier about Louisiana Tech, because I have hurt feelings about Middle Tennessee. I, 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 for whatever reason, it really stings me that they waited until like the last week of the season say, surprise, we're going to see USA. F you, Sunbelt. So, a lot of people are, will put out, I think even Ben put out, we need to get, we need to get uh, Middle Tennessee. We need to get Western Kentucky. We need to get North Texas back in there. We need to get the Florida guys back in here. Forgive and forget. 
it's about money now. It's not really about loyalty. Should we get these guys again? Dusty, does is there any hurt feelings? Is there anything, any reason that you would say no to any of those guys? Honestly, I think it's a, it all depends. It depends on who, mm-hmm. the where, the why, and how is it going to benefit us? Because if you look at Middle Tennessee, I don't see where they add value across the board. Mm. The, the Middle Tennessee that was in the Sun Belt at the time definitely checked the boxes that they were a good basketball team. They were a pretty good On football the rise. team. Yeah. But now I, I don't think that they are where, where they should be. Yeah. Western Kentucky, I think, is pretty much in the same boat. I mean, you look at Western Kentucky, that was kind of the first big mid-major to make a Sweet 16 run, and they were in the Sun Belt. Yeah. Now they're, they're not really even getting to Birmingham for the Conference USA tournament. So what have you done for me lately, and, and what are you going to do for me tomorrow? See, that's what made me mad, Dusty. The Sun Belt made Middle Tennessee, and they made Western Kentucky. And the moment they had a chance to bail, they said, we're out. <laughs> eat, eat it. And now they want to come crawling back in. Mm. But oh, you're going to have to kiss some ass. I would take Western Kentucky back if they hired Willie Taggart again. Okay, because yeah. I had a great moment with Willie Taggart at one of the Sunbelt Conference media days where we both tried grass. <laughs> and how did that work out? Uh, it's nasty. Oh. Well, you got to get the right stuff, Dusty. That's the key. <laughs> All right. Listen, realignment, we have no idea what's going on. There's a lot of people who say they know what's going on, say what's in the bag. Heck, we don't even know if this, this American... Uh, CUSA grab is even going to happen. Everybody says they know. They don't really know. Heck, we all knew those the Mountain West guys were about to jump, and then none of them did. So really, we don't know until the, the ink is signed. But we do know. There's one thing we do know, Dusty. Are you ready? That I feel bad for New Mexico State. No, no. Not, nothing okay. to do with New Mexico State. What we do know is that football will be played in week eight. Maybe. Yeah, and no, not just maybe. It's happening tomorrow. It's one of the biggest games of the year, Dusty. Coastal Carolina, ranked number 14, the highest-ranked ever Sunbelt program, facing off Appalachian State that just got their asses handed to them by the Cajuns. What do you expect from this game? I can't help but wonder if App State wasn't caught looking ahead to Coastal past Lafayette. And at the end of the day, Uh this game means far more to App State than Louisiana Lafayette. Because if they win this game, they get another shot at the Cajuns. If they lose this game, Coastal's going to finally get a shot at the Cajuns. Maybe, unless they get sick again. Here's another thing to think about, too, for this game. Coastal has to beat everybody by 50 to maintain that 14 uh, ranking. Once they start like getting edged or barely beating people or getting beat, then it's just goodbye ranking. So they, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that that truthfully, that strength of schedule is just what's keeping them from going up. And then in addition to that, 
they're the number two G5 school. And unless Cincinnati loses, they're not going to move up. I, yeah, but you know what? The feel-good story right now, Dusty, in the G5 isn't Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is the old story. Now it's UTSA. Wouldn't, don't you think the nation's media and then, and then eventually the committee would go, oh, you know, Coastal sort of old news. Look at these guys in, in uh, San Antonio. Let's put them up there instead. Am I am I just being paranoid? You're paranoid. Yes, you, you're still having PTSD from Coastal <laughs> decapitating the Red Wolf last week. Uh, all right. Well, we have seen uh, Coastal get a couple guys mentioned on the was it the Athlon or is it the was it the Athletic? I think had their midseason All Americans. We had a couple Coastal Carolina guys get on there, and well deserved. Uh, likely is a tremendous tight end, uh, and and McCall is a very good quarterback. Now, do you think Appalachian State matches well with those with those guys? Depends on which App State team we get. Do we get the one earlier this year against Miami, or do we get last week's against uh, Louisiana Lafayette? I am so shaken by that performance against the Cajuns. I don't have any confidence anymore in the Mountaineers. And, 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 and that's what makes me think they were just caught looking ahead, that, that they didn't focus on the Cajuns. They went through the motions so that they could get to this week. Wouldn't that be a brilliant move by the Cajuns to just kind of sort of half-ass through the season kind of can barely win just so they can catch Appalachian State up guard off guard wow that is some coaching right there that is LSU level coaching Billy Napier is not going to go to LSU or should I say LSU will not want Billy Napier which is a damn shame because he is probably the Uh, best coach in the state uh that's one for that job we god there has to be a way to bet on that I wonder if there's a place where you can bet on on who's going to coach because i would put money on napier i i, I you know they, lsu is you know they're putting out the jimbo fishers and the I, I think gruden actually came up which cracked me up all these guys though you know people who already have great jobs they're already oh they'd love to come to lsu I, why would you want to go to that crap store storm that that's just you can't you can't even win a national championship without being punted out of the out of your job in two years. That's just kind of crazy to me. But hey, we're not here to talk about LSU as as fascinating as LSU is. We're here to talk about the Sun Belt. And after that Wednesday game, is a game that has some interest to me, and maybe only some minor interest to the rest of the Sun Belt. And that's Arkansas State versus Louisiana in Jonesboro, Arkansas, on Thursday night on ESPNU. Will you be watching Dusty from the comfort of your home? course I, yeah. I i try to catch at least a half of every game and then go back and watch the highlight package nice you are a warrior here is the deal i like louisiana lafayette in this game but you know as well as i do jonesboro is the place where dreams go to die <laughs> because uh I couldn't tell you the last time i had a rooting interest for a team playing at arkansas state and they had a good showing or a win. Let me tell you something, though. Historically, Thursday night games at Arkansas State have been murders for Arkansas State. There is something about Thursday night games, national TV, where, all right, this team's going to step up and look good in front of the cameras, 
they always fall short. And I don't know why. I can't figure it out. Now they get a Cajuns team that just blew the doors off of Appalachian State. You got an Arkansas State team that gives up 50 points to everyone. I don't feel much hope for my Red Wolves in this game. I mean, like I said, I like the Cajuns, but it would not <laughs> surprise me to see the curse of Jonesboro strike again. You know who else likes the Red Wolves in this game? My brother, Rex Steele, who has been just sort of dour and, and, and cloudy about the Red Wolves all year. Suddenly, out of the blue says, you know, I feel good about the Red Wolves this game. And I said, why? He goes, you know, they, they had the bye week. You got Lane Hatcher coming back. They always play tough against the Cajuns. The Cajuns are going to be coming down off that big win against Appalachian State. So there's a lot of things sort of in the air that sort of can gel in favor of Arkansas State. Maybe Arkansas State makes something happen. There seems to be a lot of things that Arkansas State hasn't done all year that they all suddenly magically have to start doing to make that win happen. I think Louisiana comes away with the win. But I hope Arkansas State reminds the Cajuns that, hey, they, they, they're still in the Sun Belt and they're still going to make some noise. But let's move on past that game, Dusty, because every time I think about it, I start getting a little bit of heartburn. I thought maybe we can talk about Ben's favorite team, Georgia State and Texas State. A sneaky, good football game. Ask me why. Why is that the sneaky <laughs> game of the week? Uh, I, I was hoping you would ask real slowly so I could think of a reason for it being a sneaky good game. But I will say this. It's a kind of a, it's not a must win game for Georgia State, but it's a should win game for Georgia State. Georgia State for a long time has been talking about, hey, we belong in the upper echelon. We've got all this talent. We've got this brand new stadium. It's uh, just a matter of time before Georgia State takes over the Sun Belt and, and starts, you know, dominating the way they dominate in basketball. Yay, we're, our, we're Georgia State. We've got the, 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 the little horn that toots every time it's first down or whatever we do. It's time that Georgia State got some respect. And they're not going to get that respect if they get beat by the Texas State Bobcats. I like the Boobcats. <laughs> I mean, I... Uh, you I, like McBride. There is something about McBride that you've got like a man crush for. You, I you like McBride, but he broke my heart last week. <laughs> he did. I yes. mean, gee, come on, dude. Get that extra <laughs> hour of sleep. Practice a little bit more on Madden. Whatever it takes. Get ready for this game. Come on, that Troy defense will make anybody look bad. Don't take <sighs> it out on McBride. <laughs> He's all I'm, right. I'm a ride or die. Let's Let's go, McBride. Okay. Do you know the line on Texas State? I oh, here it is. It was like a two touchdown ish. It is ten point five for He's Georgia State. Ten and a half points. So that seems about right. But you know what? I think I would take that for Texas State. I take Texas State and the points on that. I think I'm going to do that. I, I only say that because Ben's not here. He's not here to beat me up. But uh, although Ben would say this is Ben's like uh, like his mantra, never bet on Georgia State. Never bet on Georgia State. <laughs> it doesn't matter what. Just don't bet on Georgia State and you'll be a happier person. The last game of the night, 6 o'clock Central Time, South Alabama and your fighting Warhawks. The Warhawks that are absolutely 
the scariest team to play right now in the Sun Belt. I'm not even, I'm not being facetious. I'm not making it up. They are a scary team simply because we don't know what we're going to face when you play the Warhawks. Are they going to be the guys that get blown out like they got blown out by the Mountaineers? Or are they going to be the guys that play tough against you are play tough and beat Troy and beat Liberty. Who are these guys and why are they good? Anyway, they come in as a uh, 13 and a half point dog to South Alabama. And uh, I find that a little disrespectful, Dusty. How ironic <laughs> that ULM is playing a South Alabama school. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I can think of when you were talking about ULM being the scariest team is that ULM is like a box of chocolates that you never know what you're going to get. Wow. Well, that's deep. And so this could be another epic upset of the yeah. Jags. Okay. It could be another, well, the first quarter is over. Let's, uh, let's head home. And, and, huh. and I don't think it's going to be an in-between. I, I think it's going to be – it's homecoming. Uh-huh. So, I think the Bayou is going to be rocking. I think yeah. ULM gets another conference win and inches a little bit closer to bowl eligibility at six wins. Mm-hmm. That will put them at four, and we'll just keep rolling on from there. You know, the combination of Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert is a pretty deadly combination. I agree. And that's going to be very hard to overcome. But I think the matchup that's the most engaging and the most intriguing are these two defenses, which are both pretty damn good. ULM, unexpectedly good. You saw them on the goal line against Liberty, against the Flames. You saw what they can do. They can stiffen up when they need to. And then South Alabama, just it's hard to play against defensively. To me, they're on par with Troy. So what we might see, I think, I don't know what the over-under is, but I bet the under is the one that you want to bet in this game. Interesting take. <laughs> Come on, help me out, Dusty. This is your team. I'm, I, what I am looking for you is some sort of hype on, on the Warhawks because I'm hyped about the Warhawks. You've got me hyped about the Warhawks. And you're, you know what you're doing. What's happened is the Warhawks are good, and now you're playing it off as, oh, yes, well, you know, we're just a lucky one game at a time. You know, you have become that guy now. You've become Mr. Just laid back about it because you can relax. Your team's pretty good. We're just out here focused on what we can control and, <laughs> and hoping that God blesses us with a great game. As long as you give 110%. Yeah. And we're going to give 110%. Uh-huh. Reduce the mistakes. Focus on both sides of the ball. You'll come out. Of, you'll come out ahead every time. Just like we did all week in practice. <laughs> uh, all right, Dusty. That is our preview. That is week. the week preview. You, you, you know the biggest line that you missed on the week, though. No, how could I possibly miss anything? I feel like I've just talked and talked. What did I miss? For the first time this season, Florida State is a favorite as they are 37-point favorites over UMass. <laughs> huh. Well, you know what? I, I, I hadn't really you know, checked in on the lack of trajectory of Florida State, but uh, I have been checking in on UMass 
And I am very pleased to see that UMass is back in the news as a result of that. Good for UMass. You know, maybe that's what we, speaking of alignment, maybe we should just grab UMass and UConn and just grab them that, uh, just make them part, part, enfold them into our breast, make them part of our family. I would rather go back to New Mexico State and Idaho. <laughs> Uh, well, we get better basketball. You'd have to admit, you'd have to admit those teams would bring better basketball to the to the conference. No, okay. no. Jeremy, you you are fired as commissioner of the Sun Belt Conference. <laughs> we are rehiring Keith Gill. I'm talking to I'm talking to Keith tonight, and we'll see if we can make that happen. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll have some cognac. We'll pop some popcorn. I'll, I'll float that by. It'll just be like a concept. We'll, I'll soft launch it and see see if it sticks. Parting shots, Dusty Thibodeau, as we wind up this very successful but benless episode of Funbell Podcast. This week, I got to see that the Pomeroy men's basketball rankings came out. Ooh. All the Sunbelt, according to these rankings, uh-huh. are pretty bad, like 150 plus, with uh-huh. Georgia State being the best Sunbelt team at 154. Uh-huh. One of their metrics is how lucky is a team? Oh, okay. Jumping out of the Sun Belt for a minute, the luckiest team, according to this ranking, Cleveland State, with a 0.19% uh-huh. luck factor of their games. Number two, Navy. Okay. 17%. All right. Santa Clara, 14%. All right, uh-huh. Going into the Sun Belt, the yeah. luckiest team. Who's the luckiest team? Give me, give me a guess. Who is the luckiest team? God, that's ah, uh, you got you so lucky. How, how was that measured again? How was the it luck did measured? Not define what luck was considered. I would say Coastal Carolina. Incorrect. <laughs> Louisiana Lafayette is the nineteenth overall luckiest team according to the Pomeroy men's basketball rankings. The most unlucky team? Oh, it's got to be ULM. Your Red Wolves at two. Oh, no! (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense to me. Now it all falls into line. You know, I knew there was some mystical force out there that was preventing the Red Wolves basketball team from finding and achieving success. So that actually makes me feel better because I, I, I didn't want to think that it was bad coaching or poor talent or, or anything like that. It, it actually relieves me to know that it's cosmic forces that's preventing Arkansas State basketball from doing well. You know, I have a parting shot too, and it also relates to basketball and rankings. And that CBS Sports have put out their rankings of their 370-odd teams uh, that they put together, which, first of all, that's a yeoman's job to even, like, gather a list of that many teams. And then come up with, they come up with these, uh, what they call the uh, uh, capsules, where they will say something about each team. And uh, they said something interesting about the Sun Belt uh, in the in one of the preview capsules, and they said it in Appalachian State's preview capsule, who they ranked uh, 142, by the way, uh, which I think was the second best for the Sun Belt. Georgia State, I believe, came in first at like 101. 
but their capsule read this. Seems like the Sun Belt is going to take a collective state a step forward. And a team like App State speaks to that. So according to CBS Sports, they see the Sun Belt and the basketball programs all being better this year. Uh, I don't know exactly where they get that from. Somebody mentioned it's because a lot of great talents coming in uh, or actually stayed thanks to the dumb COVID year. So maybe we're in tune for a magic year of Sunbelt basketball. I hope so, because I would like to be entertained by Sunbelt basketball this season. I think a lot of us would. So I hope that whatever insight CBS Sports has, it's spot on. And that's it. That's my insight. Dusty, want to plug anything? Or are you good? I think we're good. Obviously, Warhawk Report will be in the bayou, hopefully not in the bayou, and on the bayou, rather, for the ULM South Alabama game this week. So we'll be chatting it up with fans there and having a full game recap. Meanwhile, uh, I'll be representing Hal Razor at the Arkansas State uh Cajuns game this Thursday night in the press box. Please follow me on Twitter for that. It should be a love lamenting and gnashing of teeth on my end. My name's Jeremy Harper. His name is Dusty Thibodeau. Ben took the night off and we're saying good night from Fun Belt Podcast.